G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. As you know, over the past five years, Dr. Camille Magdaly has been travelling across Australia with his annual Understanding the Times tour. Now, these events have been a huge success across Australia with a great following. And when you get world-class Bible teaching and reflecting on those current issues of the day, uh, they are super, super valuable. Now, of course, with COVID-19, a physical tour this year was not possible. But there is a very important event that we can all participate in, and it's happening tomorrow night. An online and interactive event bringing truth and perspective about the events shaping our world and how it relates to the Bible. Well, this year, Dr. Camille Magdaly is framing his message looking beyond COVID-19, recession and riots. And the important question, is there a word from the Lord? Now, it's on tomorrow night. So 7 p.m. in Queensland, that makes it 5 p.m. in the West. That makes it 8 p.m. for uh, Eastern Daylight Saving Time on a special online Zoom video conference. Now, you will need to register to attend. It is free, and you can do that registering at vision.org.au. And when you do register, you'll automatically receive a link via email to where you can watch and participate in the live interactive event. So a preview today on the topic beyond COVID-19, recession and riots, is there a word from the Lord? And Dr. Camille Magdaly joining us from the UK. Camille, welcome along to 2020. Good morning, Neil, and good morning, Australia. Hey, Camille, a lot of our listeners will be thinking, uh, let's talk about the topic for a moment because you take a long time uh, just uh, perfecting the way you word a topic to be able to address the issues that you do on your usual uh, tours around Australia. Uh, Let's talk about your topic. Beyond COVID-19, recession and riots, is there a word from the Lord? What should we know about that topic? All right. Well, first of all, COVID-19 has dominated world attention now for at least seven months, as if it's the only thing in town. Of course, it's not. It's not going to last forever. But what is it doing to our world? What's going to change? What's going to remain the same? What's going to go back to quote-unquote normal? And where do we go from here? And more importantly, what's God saying about all this? Because I believe that when you are attuned to God's word and walking in his purposes, you actually have nothing to worry about. But if you're not walking with God, not attuned to his purposes, unaware of what he's saying or ignoring what he is saying, then it can cause great strife. So, as always with understanding the times, We not only want to tell you what is happening and why, but 
give a pathway forward with great hope. This idea of is there a word from the Lord? And for a lot of people, and including Christians here, Camille, sometimes we'll think that that's that's a little like an optional extra uh, to understand is God involved in the events of our day because we can tend to be so secularized, uh, so attuned to sort of a mainstream leave God out of the picture that we ignore the very fact that God is in control of all things. How do you think about how Christians uh, would address the idea of the fact that there is a question like this? Is there a word from the Lord in everything that's happening around the world right now? Well, I guess if you get two Christians, you may get three opinions on such issues. I, some high-profile Christians in Australia, I've been hearing their commentary and their isn't unanimity about the role God has to play in this pandemic or in anything else for that matter. I come from the point of view that God is in everything. I'm not saying he necessarily causes everything, but I can certainly believe he can solve everything. He is, after all, the sovereign of the universe, and nothing but nothing is too hard for him. I do believe that, of course, one of the things about this is, what is it really? Is it a judgment? Is it a chastening? Is it a shaking? That's actually the options we have vis-a-vis God and, say, the pandemic and other events happening in this turbulent time. I definitely believe it's a shaking, and shaking affects everybody. It's like an earthquake. The righteous and the unrighteous get shaken. However, the difference is the foundations. The righteous are on a sure foundation, and therefore they can, by the grace of God, withstand the shaking. And in addition, there is a redemptive side to shaking, and that is it wakes people up and helps them to prioritize and put first things first. Extremely important in our day, whether there is a pandemic or not, We need to get our priorities right because otherwise we're treading water and wasting our precious lives and time. Powerful thoughts when you say there are three options here, judgment, chastening and shaking. And uh, the interesting thing is that if you are a Christian believer, then you actually, as you say, have a firm foundation on which to be able to face the shaking. And, uh, and that's, a, that's the powerful thing, isn't it, about how we have faith in God and how we actually interpret the things that are happening around us in the world. This is a tremendous strength for our Christian faith, Camille. Well, it is, provided that we put it to work or utilize what God has provided. I've just been working on the book of Judges, verse-by-verse commentary, as part of my On the Rock program, And in one of the darkest times, and that's Judges 9, when the evil son of Gideon, his name is Abimelech, usurped power, killed his half-brothers, and plunged the nation into a very tyrannical reign, out of all this came a prophetic voice of the youngest son of Gideon named Jotham, or Yotam. And that prophetic voice really cut through everything, It was an early warning service. It was a light shining in the dark place. And if you heeded what Yotam was prophesying, you would be kept safe. 
If you didn't, then you would just continue on. It says, the prudent man foresees the evil and hides himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. That is said twice, Neil, in the book of Proverbs. So I believe there's a prophetic voice out there, and we need to tap into it and flow with it. When things are going well, Camille, and everything is good, and there's money in the bank, there's a roof over our head, there's a car on the uh, driveway, uh, we tend to have a, uh, you know, she'll be right mate type attitude. Uh, all things are good while things are going well. So when shaking comes, uh, when it comes in the form, maybe it's judgment, maybe it's a chastening, when that shaking comes, that's the way that I suspect God gets the attention of people. And I wonder whether you've got any thoughts here on the uh, the way the context works here. When shaking comes, that that is an attention getter from God. Well, I have always seen shaking, and that was, of course, my key theme in the 2019 Understanding the Times tour. We had four cities that shake the world. So, uh, of course... It is an attention getter. It is an alarm clock. It is to, as First Thessalonians 5 and verse 6 tell us, it's to wake up the sleepers and sober up the drunkards. And no offense attended to anyone, but we've all had our experience, Neil, of sleeping spiritually or living in denial and delusion and deception. Thank God for the light of the gospel, which is truth, that shines on us. But if we don't heed the word, even as believers, then we are on sinking sand. That's why Jesus gives us the New Testament, all of it, so that we can, and in fact, the whole of Scripture, that we can walk in the light of God's word and get to the rock that is unshakable. Camille, just digging deep here, even in the beginning of our conversation, because when we talk about that word judgment, there's a real reluctance, isn't there, uh, in the modern Christian to acknowledge that when there is a shaking, that it may in fact be the judgment of God. Now, uh, you know, uh, we've spoken about this sort of thing before. Uh, when bad things happen, you can't say that it is God. You can't say that it's not. But there is a certain sense in which uh, this whole dimension of what's going on and understanding the times has to involve some way that we process as Christian believers this idea of judgment. Any thoughts around that for, for listeners who might be just concerned about you know whether or not this sort of shaking could be something God has allowed? Well, with the word judgment, first of all, it's really an, what do you call it, a radioactive term. I know that preachers, even myself, <laughs> we are careful about using this term because it does, well, it's a, it's a hot potato, but it always has been a hot potato. Ask the prophet Jeremiah when he talked about judgment, look where it landed him, at the bottom of a cistern. Thankfully, he got rescued, but it is not a popular topic in any time. Part of the issue with the thing of judgment is that people uh, look at it as God is supposed to be loving and kind. Why would he judge? Because God, of course, is so big that when he spanks, it doesn't just shake a person, it can shake the world. But the thing about judgment, we have to bear in mind, it is a reality. It's certainly something that'll happen in the end. We need it to happen because the justice of God must be found in our world in order to have a kingdom 
which has no end and where righteousness finds its true home. The thing with judgment, Neil, is God is a just judge. He doesn't judge innocent people with the punishment that is meant for the wicked. That wouldn't be justice at all. So that's why oftentimes I defer the term judgment with all the shakings to near the end, because after all, that's when Christ comes back. And when he comes back, he's not going to be the little Lamb of God, gentle and mild. He is also going to be the king, he's going to be the warrior, and he's going to be the judge. So I tend to defer this to the end, and that's why there's the chastening, that's why there is the shaking, which can affect believers. God chastens those whom he loves, and shaking, it affects everyone, but when you're living your life on the rock, because you've been hearing and doing God's word, you will withstand the shaking. And my goal in understanding the times is get as many people on the rock as possible, and we do that by encouraging them to invest in their spiritual lives. Camille, let's start with one of the three issues you're addressing in your latest message. Uh, You're talking COVID-19, recession and riots. Let's start with COVID-19 because uh, it's well and truly front and centre in the headlines, especially as Donald Trump has been diagnosed with COVID-19 and uh, going through a process uh, which we're led to believe is a good recovery. So uh, let's start with that one. Where does this fit into this whole uh, issue that we're talking about, understanding the times, uh, looking for a word from the Lord? Well, COVID-19 could very well fall into the events that Jesus Christ spoke about, uh, end-time shaking type of events, famines, pestilences, earthquakes in diverse places. These are just the beginning of the birth pangs. And he also adds for believers, for disciples, make sure you are not troubled when you see these things. Amazing. We're talking about cataclysm here, but the good Lord is telling us not to be troubled. And the basis of our not being troubled is, of course, what I've alluded to just earlier. When you follow the Lord and you are being discipled and your roots go down deeply, your branches go wide, you're bearing fruit, you are heeding his word, then you are a wise person building your life on the rock. So when the shakings come, the winds, the waves, the floods, you're barely touched because you're on a sure foundation. With the COVID-19 and all that, One of the things I'm seeing, it is possible, even in the midst of the economic and socio-political changes, some of them are rather radical, that it is possible to prosper even in a time like this. Just like Isaac prospered in Genesis 26 during a time of drought and famine in the land of Canaan. He desperately wanted to go to Egypt and get away from the drought desperately. I mean, that's what everybody else does. Go to Egypt. You have the Nile. You have room. You have fertile soil. It is the obvious option. But God told him to stay put, listen to him, and he would bless him right where he was at. Isaac obeyed, and he reaped a hundredfold, plus wherever he dug, he found water and wells. You see, better to be in Canaan with God than in Egypt without God. 
So you've got COVID-19 and directly connected to the recession, and let's call it a worldwide recession. There'll be nations right around the world, uh, very few not affected uh, by what's happened with COVID-19. So recession fits into there as well. And and as you say, there is a certain sense in which, as an individual, you can even prosper during a time of recession. But there'll be people listening to us, Camille, who've lost their jobs or had their hours cut. They've got family members who are, uh, you know, going through a real uh, shaking in that sense uh, financially and uh, where they live and how they put food on the table for their children. There are going to be some big challenges ahead. Recession very much connected to this pandemic, COVID-19. Well, isn't it interesting? This recession is actually (laughs) self-induced. (laughs) <laughs> or at least to some extent self-induced. It came as a result of lockdown. It also is the same explanation for the riots. It's part of it, a major part of it, is the lockdown. People got tired of being cooped up, and so they express themselves in ways that aren't always, shall we say, social. But the thing that we really need to come to grips with, and I've been saying this for years and years and years, and that is, whose kingdom are you serving? Whose economy are you on? Whose culture are you tapped into? Because if you have a kingdom mindset, a kingdom culture, and are on the kingdom economy, then you will get kingdom benefits. Because God daily loads his people, those that are rightly connected to him, with benefits. And it is of the utmost importance that we learn these things in a time of relative peace and prosperity rather than in a time of national and global emergency. I believe that for the church, there is an immensely wonderful opportunity. One of the things I will talk about more, uh, well, uh, yeah, a bit more tomorrow night, is in the midst of the turmoil of the 1960s, and it was very similar to what we're seeing today. Today might be even worse, but it's the same principle. A lot of turmoil, a lot of rebellion, a lot of ungodly things happening. And yet, where iniquity abounded, grace abounded more. In the 60s and in the 70s came a charismatic movement where the Holy Spirit swept through churches far and wide globally. And also, there was a revival called the Jesus Revolution. And some of the rebellious hippies and protesters became fervent believers and ministers. One of them, of course, is our old friend Bill Muhlenberg. Amazing transformation of Bill, and he's a product of that Jesus revolution. One of the things we should be doing, Neil, is believing for even a greater move of the Spirit, a greater revival in the midst of the iniquity and the harm we're seeing now than we ever saw 50 years ago. Helping you make sense of life, culture, and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Wonderful to have you with us. The Tuesday edition of 2020, our talkback line open on 1-800-316-316. Our very special guest is Dr. Camille Magdaly, ahead of tomorrow night's big online event. You can register to participate in that at vision.org.au. Camille, let's talk for a moment here, just a little bit of context. Uh, Here in Australia, of course, uh, tonight here in Australia, we'll have the 
federal budget brought down by our treasurer, Josh Frydenberg. Uh, we've got elections coming up in the ACT. Uh, there's an election coming up also in the state of Queensland. That one will be on the 31st of October. And then just a few days later, on the 3rd of November, the US election. And if anyone is looking at news headlines, they'll note that the US election is dominating the headlines uh, over and above anything that's happening locally here in Australia. And that's because uh, this is such a significant time. The direction of the whole world can be affected by the outcome of the election. A general perspective from you here, Camille, on the importance of the upcoming US election. Well, Neil, as I said to you privately, where do we even begin when it comes to the U.S. presidential election? I have been, of course, watching these all my life, and I've never seen anything like this one. But let's take the political parties and personalities out of it for a moment. It is incredibly significant because we are in a globalized world. And America still is a recognized superpower economically, militarily, and, so, and culturally, for that matter. And there is challenges, challenges galore that affect us globally. So it is not a stretch to say that what happens in the U.S. affects other countries, including Australia, which is a very close and valued ally of the United States. One of the big issues, and there's several, but there's a civilizational clash. There's a civilizational clash externally where you have Western civilization, which we're part of, and then you have those that warring against the West, or at least the way the West is currently. So you have external challenges like the rise of China or radical Islam, but you also have the internal challenge. And that's what we've been seeing with the riots going on, especially in the United States. And, and that is, of course, part of this, shall we call it, leftist push involving a coalition of postmodernists, progressives, social justice warriors, uh, cultural Marxists, secular humanists. That's one side. And the other side are the traditional values people. And even though there's been a a drift towards the left for a while, we've had this counterpunch, call it a popular popular or populist thing, in the United States, in Europe also. And of course, Donald Trump represents the populist, common sense, nation first kind of idea versus a more secular, humanist, globalist kind of vision. And these two headwinds are clashing, even as I speak. What I'm seeing in the United States election is, shall we call it, two very stark choices, the starkest I've ever seen in my life, between mainstream American values, which Australia would resonate with to some extent, versus a new far-left radical agenda, which is basically socialism. Now, they may say it's more like the European-style socialism, but I think even the Europeans would question <laughs> how much is like their, their system. So it is clearly the biggest gap between the two sides I've ever seen. But by, by, the, way, by the way, Britain had the exact same thing in the December 2019 election where the two major parties 
had a very clear gap between them. And the polls were having it like a hung parliament. And at the end, Boris Johnson won a stunning landslide, even though the polls didn't indicate anything of the kind. Who knows? We may be in for another shock result. We might be. And interestingly, that this is not now a new phenomenon. As you talk about what happened in the UK, uh, we can even see uh, the way that our parties in Australia have had a more significant uh, differentiation between their policy positions. This is something that has really begun to be cemented into elections in Western nations of recent years, a very much more defined uh, left and right or conservative versus progressive. And it's not just like uh, they're both two different parties but looking much the same. They do look very, very different these days, Camille. Yes, uh, it seems to be a trend everywhere <laughs> yep. where the, the, the left of center is going more to the far left and the right of center is going more to the far right. Remember that we talk about musical chairs. You know, in Australia, you'll have the Labour Party in power and then they change and then you have the coalition in power. And then they change it back to the Labour Party, back and forth, back and forth. It really is interesting because there are there is an argument to say that traditionally the two parties weren't really that far off from each other in bedrock policy, just different shades. Now you actually are starting to see a big difference between the, the main parties in Australia, in the United Kingdom, in the United States, where the choice is clear. You have, the interesting thing with Trump is he's even alienated Republicans, which is his party, because he's, he's not playing the establishment line, in part because Donald Trump was never part of the establishment to begin with. So he has managed to get a populist message that has resonated with the average American, people who are not living on the two coasts, <laughs> east and west, and uh, he's gotten through to, to a major extent. But whether he gets through again on the 3rd of November, of course, remains to be seen. But he's offering a break from politics as usual, establishment kind of stuff. And the same is happening in Europe, not so much in the UK, but in Eastern Europe, they're not towing the line of Western Europe and what the EU wants. The, the countries of the former Soviet bloc say we are European, we want to keep our Western heritage, we are Judeo-Christian people, and they're just not towing the line with the more secular, humanist, progressivist, uh, shall we say, mindset of Western Europe, especially France and Germany, who dominate the European Union. Camille, let me come back to this word from the Lord and how listeners to our conversation today might discern what a word from the Lord might sound like because uh, is the word from the Lord that you might be talking uh, the same word whether there is a outcome on one side of politics or on the other? Uh, is it the same word from the Lord? Is the shaking the same no matter who actually wins power? What are your thoughts on on the idea of how you discern what direction things are going? Okay, good question, Neil. The outcome, in some ways, will be determined by our response to the word of the Lord now. 
That's one thing. Second thing, the word of the Lord stands forever, so it does apply in regardless of outcome. It's it, the principle that God's thoughts, his ways, his words are higher than ours, and that will include our geopolitical situation too. He's much higher than all that. So whatever he has to say to us applies in season, out of season, day, night, now, and forever. Some of the word of the Lord that I'm presenting will be definitely universal regardless of election outcomes. But at the same time, if we want to make a positive difference, and I believe God is calling us to be salt and light and to make that positive difference, then we need to understand we are highly empowered people, we as believers, because we have, we have one vote in the natural, but we have a very booming vote in the spiritual realm, in our intercession, our prayers, our fasting, our praise, our worship, and our obedience. When we combine our intercession with our obedience to God, it is a very potent mixture that will bring great results. I believe everything we're seeing in the global sphere, in the positive sense, I believe is a result of faithful believers coming to the throne of grace and obtaining mercy and grace to help in time of need. Hebrews 4, verse 16. I believe that we can change the destiny of nations by just plugging into the things of God. Before we move on, let's take a call. Let's hear from Martina in Brisbane. Hello, Martina. Welcome along. Oh, hi, Neil. Hi, Camille. Um, <clears throat> oh, when you said that, like, you know, we've been called to be uh, salt and light and, and to be the light in the world to show Jesus to everybody. I know so many Christians who are so bending over backwards to com compromise and conform mm. with everything that's going on. Um, I was just wondering, you know, have you found that? Camille, your thoughts for Martina? Okay, well, good morning, Martina. Thank you for your call. I would say yes, I see it a lot. I see it in a couple ways. I see it with some people, they, they do want to follow the Lord, but the, the pull of the world is very great. And unless you're walking closely with the Lord, you can be knocked down by the worldly headwinds. And in other cases, yeah. I see it with people who maybe never had a deep spiritual walk to begin with. In either case, the solution seems to be the same, and that is for God to get their attention whether through a shaking, whether through a personal crisis, whether it's through just speaking to them, and bring them to what we call the fear of the Lord. To mm -hmm. me, this is one of the great truths we need to put front and center. Because when you have the fear of the Lord, and we mean it in the healthy, wonderful, biblical sense, then you are going to walk with God. You're going to please Him. You're, you're going to forget about the world because it's a lost cause anyway, and the parking meter is about to expire, and it's the Titanic that's going to go down. Why do you put your eggs in that basket? The fear of the Lord gives you the proper perspective. So, of course, that's what I endeavor to do, and others likewise, as we teach and preach God's Word. Martina, you raise a really important question. And Camille, there is a certain pressure on people to conform because not only is it just people who we might see as compromising, but this pressure to conform. I mean, if you say 
that there could be a chastening or a judgment or a shaking that could be coming from God, uh, people are likely to dismiss you as being out of step with the modern world. So it does take some courage to be able to stand and say, I believe this is something that God is doing, that there is a shaking in the world. Uh, What are your thoughts for this idea of a pressure to conform? Well, Neil, you have brought up a very, very valid point. There is a lot of pressure to conform. It comes in political correctness. It comes through legislation. I mean, one of our concerns is that if we see the trend continuing and we do nothing about it, we could be uh, accused of hate speech simply reading the Bible in a church service. Now, we haven't come to that point yet. Hopefully, we never will. And I don't believe it has to be inevitable, but it depends also on the church. So, Neil, you hit the nail on the head. It takes courage. If ever there's a single word I want to impart to people facing the future with confidence, we need to be courageous. And courageousness isn't machismo bravado. Courage is a decision we make to obey God's word because God's word tells us, be strong and courageous. Courage comes by partnering with God, being filled with the Holy Spirit, walking in the fear of the Lord. And it's amazing how we can uh, run through the troop and leap over a wall when we have courage and the fear of the Lord together. Martina, thank you so much for your call. Uh, This idea of compromise, and sometimes we're quick to judge and blame people for compromise, uh, but oftentimes uh, there's this whole this uh, pressure to conform. And what adds to the pressure there is the idea that if you can't meet as a local church, as a gathering of related and belonging believers, uh, then you're going to be all the more susceptible to the sorts of pressures that can come. Uh, this not being able to meet for church has its big downside, doesn't it, Camille? Well, it does. I mean, I'm very grateful we had the Zoom facility and people have stayed connected that way. I stay connected to my home church in Melbourne through this facility. But I'm in agreement with uh, young American Charlie Kirk of Turning Point. He says, we must get back into church, you know, get dressed up, go to the house of God, meet people in person. And I want to say, right now while I have a chance, that we should not take the current situation as the new normal forever and ever, and we're always going to be on Zoom. We have to insist that the time will come we can return back to the house of God to fellowship one with another. Very, very important. Camille, let's move to a really important uh, difference and development uh, that happens uh, that affects things globally because of the uh, major influence that comes from the United States. And uh, when we're talking to you, we're talking, of course, global issues and uh, you're across issues uh, in Europe, uh, China, uh, Australia, and of course, uh, the US. One of the big developments in the US, which has uh, made the current US election campaign quite significant uh, is this idea of the Supreme Court system. Uh, There are some protections, there are some risks. There was the death uh, recently of of Ruth Bader Ginsburg and uh, now there's replacement nomination, Amy Coney Barrett. I wonder if you've got any thoughts on on developments so far as what things might look like 
uh, for the US, given its uh, significant influence on the whole world, by what happens with that Supreme Court? Well, I'm glad you asked, Neil. I'd love to talk about the US Supreme Court. It is arguably the case that no one institution has had more influence on changing culture, more than academia, more than the entertainment industry, more than the media, and that's the court system, especially in the United States. The U.S. Supreme Court is probably, as Neil, you've rightly said, more uh, politicized than the Australian High Court. I like what Mark Levin said, that there's nine justices, or actually there's seven politicians and two justices on the U.S. Supreme Court. I tend to think it's more like <laughs> probably uh, five politicians and four justices. So it has had a massive effect on the culture because of what we call uh, judicial activism, where justices are not inter interpreting law as per constitution, but they are actually creating laws, in some cases out of thin air, by their very elastic interpretation of the constitution, not unlike what we have with liberal theology and interpreting the Bible. So we have a very, very transformational situation before us between the death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg and the potential confirmation of Amy Coney Barrett. The one thing they have in common, of course, is their women. And someone rightly pointed out Donald Trump saved Amy Coney Barrett's nomination for Ruth Bader Ginsburg's place because she was a woman, and it would be harder for the Democratic opposition to uh, oppose her. They, they are opposing, but not on the basis of gender. So one of the big potential outcomes of Amy Coney Barrett uh, being uh, confirmed in her nomination and uh, being made the next person to join the Supreme Court in the US, uh, depending on uh, which side of politics you're looking at, some people will say it's all about health care laws and uh, what she might do to vote those down. Uh, but there's also this other very important uh, one that, that really strikes a chord with the pro-life community, and that is the Roe versus Wade decision, now something like 50 years old, and uh, it could well be overturned. And so someone with her uh, pro-life stance has the potential then to contribute to how the Supreme Court might vote on an issue like that. Any thoughts around that sort of importance here, Camille? Well, there's a couple issues. One is not just the abortion issue, which she could have influence on, but the other one is religious freedom. Now, Ruth Bader Ginsburg was very pro-abortion. In fact, there wasn't a type of abortion that she didn't like. She even opposed banning late-term abortion, which most of the justices did oppose. And with issues of religious freedom, she was not siding with people of faith. Amy Coney Barrett, we'd expect, would be the, exactly the opposite. But look, I'm no lawyer. However, I studied the system enough. Roe versus Wade is not on any imminent danger, even if you get five pro-life justices, five out of nine. It's a long story, but they get hundreds and hundreds of cases given to the Supreme Court every year, and they only take maybe 200 out of all those cases. And it, it, it would be an arduous task to overturn Roe. And even though there, 
I agree with Ben Shapiro, Roe versus Wade is a constitutional monstrosity because it has nothing to do with the U.S. Constitution. They basically created the right to an abortion from the Constitution out of thin air because the Constitution is utterly silent on this matter and, and even more. But because of the precedent that was set, courts are reticent to overturn precedent unless they have a compelling case. I believe Roe is... Uh, not easy to overturn, but possible, but it won't happen imminently. And even if it did, what people don't understand, all that does is returns the issue of abortion back to the 50 American states. So if you are a blue left-wing state, it'll be business as usual as far as abortion is concerned. That's after Roe is overturned. So it's not as simple as it sounds. But what is important is that we come back to an original interpretation of the Constitution, which basically wants limited government, maximum freedom. Over the last hundred and some years, we have strayed so far from that that it will take a major turning to bring it back on course. Camille, let's pick up on this idea of religious freedom as one of the big issues that could well be influenced by the Supreme Court in the U.S., because this, in some sense here, I can see a connection to our religious freedom issues here in Australia, because as you uh, mentioned, things like precedents, uh, if there are a, a precedent set in the United States of maintaining a religious freedom, and uh, of course there are different uh, ways that you know the U.S. history has developed to the current point of religious freedom there, and it's perhaps a little bit different to here in Australia, but, but there certainly could be a precedent on religious freedom that is set uh, by having uh, Amy Coney Barrett uh, in uh, that influential place in the Supreme Court. Any thoughts here on religious freedom and how that affects us here in Australia? Well, of course. Uh, the thing is, with the COVID-19, there's been the rise of what I dare call COVID fascism. And it's not necessarily just limited to those left of center, although the left of center have been more zealous to lock people down, and especially churches, which has been amazing. They would say churches cannot meet. They're not essential business, but cannabis dispensaries, bottle shops, abortion clinics, they're still open. They're considered essential. A few very courageous people, like John MacArthur, the pastor in the Los Angeles area, he's standing up to the state government in California, even though he gets fined $5,000 for every worship service he has. Now he's got a church of 7,000. But this kind of thing is so anti-constitutional, it's beyond a joke. Churches need to be careful on this. And, and this is where the courts come in, because recently the Supreme Court in the United States, while Ruth Bader Ginsburg was still alive, very recently they upheld a, a Nevada edict that the church, the Calvary Chapel in Nevada, could only have 50 people in the service, but the casino, virtually just down the road, could have much more than that. So the, the Supreme Court sided with the state of Nevada, and for that matter, for the casino. Had Amy Coney Barrett been on there, there's a good chance they would have upheld the right of the church because that is the constitutional right of assembly. If that kind of precedent is made in the United States, then, then sure, it will have a good effect on Australia as well. 
So flow-on effects, expect flow-on effects when it comes to the sorts of precedents. And so if uh, if the government, ch- if the president changes uh, in November and uh, things go the opposite direction, uh, is there some thought there that uh, under a Joe Biden that there might be less religious freedom? Or does that Supreme Court actually uh, keep a, a level of stability uh, in, in a religious freedom sense? Well, in the event of a Biden presidency, the signs are not looking good for religious freedom. I won't go into detail now. As far as the Supreme Court upholding religious freedom, well, it depends whether Amy Coney Barrett gets uh, confirmed or not. Remember, at the moment, it's a tie. Four justices that are solidly conservative, three justices solidly left-wing, The Chief Justice, John Roberts, is now the new swing justice. He used to be conservative, but not anymore. And you could have a tie situation, which means we don't go anywhere. Part of the reason for the rush to confirm Amy Coney Barrett, there is actually a logic to it, is because you want to break the tie before the election, especially because there is talk of contesting the election, no matter what the results are. Uh, Joe Biden apparently has 600 lawyers hired just for that very purpose. You need a tiebreaker in the Supreme Court. Maybe under normal circumstances, there would be the luxury of taking time for her confirmation. But, Neil, I think we can all agree these are not normal times, and we need to uh, get an insurance policy. Interesting. We talk about uh, civilization. We talk about uh, smooth transitions, peaceful transitions of power. And some of those we might be able to put down to uh, Christian foundations in place for that to happen. If there isn't a uh, peaceful, civil transition of power that's coming up, uh, would we put that down to the idea that that people are less Christian today? How do you see things like that, Camille? Well, I would say that... Let me. I don't know if I want to go as far as to say people are less Christian, but certainly the society is less Christian. The fact that we've had stable transfers of power for the last couple hundred years is to no small extent because of the Judeo-Christian foundations of our society. And I know it's very popular to say that Australia is not religious and Australia is... Uh, maybe not just unchurched, but perhaps even a bit anti-Christian and all this. But there's no question, as I have studied the issue in Australia, that there's a strong Christian underpinning. I mean, the fact that our parliament still says prayers when they open up should tell you something. When that is in place, there is far more stability than when we erode those foundations. But that's, of course, what secular humanists have been trying to do for decades now, is erode that. We do, you know, I think we can all agree, and it's interesting, in the United Kingdom, heads of other religions that were not Christian were saying, we're grateful that the United Kingdom is a Christian country. And this was very recently, a past few years ago. We are grateful because they give us the freedom to practice our religion. And that indeed is correct. So yes, I would say certainly society is less Christian. Whether people are less Christian as individuals, hard to say, because even in the old days, not everyone going to church was solidly Christian. But society, yes. And we can see a change in society if we will welcome the Holy Spirit 
and seek the Lord for revival. Well, I know that tomorrow night in the main event of what's happening as you're framing your message beyond COVID-19 recession and riots, the question, is there a word from the Lord? There will no doubt be a lot of participants who will be wanting to interact with you on various questions around these sorts of issues. Now, the event is on tomorrow night. Uh, 5 p.m. in the West, 7 in Queensland, 8 in the Eastern Daylight Saving States. It'll be a special online Zoom video conference. And when you register to attend, you register for free, you can do that at vision.org.au. And when you do register, you'll be automatically receiving a link via email where you can watch and participate in the live interactive event. And uh, beyond your initial presentation, Camille, there's going to be a significant Q&A opportunity. So the the Q&A time, uh, these sorts of questions, the things that we're talking about today, uh, no doubt you'll be going beyond those and perhaps even a little deeper. Uh, So the Q&A will be an important part of tomorrow night's presentation. It indeed will, and I'm greatly looking forward to it, Neil. Okay, today's been a bit of a preview. Beyond COVID-19, recession and riots, is there a word from the Lord? There is still a question on our Facebook page. You can interact with other listeners. The question I've asked there today is, do you think there is a word from the Lord in pandemic, recession and riots? But certainly you can register for tomorrow night's event at vision.org.au. If you're writing down a, a an email, a, a website address or two, tan.org.au, Teach All Nations is Camille's website. Uh, you can there make sure you sign up for Camille's newsletter, the Issachar Teaching E-Letter. And so that's tan.org.au. Camille Majdali, just great getting your insights today. Thanks so much for the preview here on 2020. Thank you, Neil, and God bless Australia. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.